This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. Brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I'm joined by Nicholas J. Horwat. And Horwat, if you can't tell, after you know dealing with some technical difficulties for the second straight episode, I'm a little pumped up today. I'm starting a new pre-podcast routine. Something that I'm going to do now is I'm going to listen to Louis Armstrong's <laughs> What a Wonderful World. No, not the one from the Clarks. It calms me down, it gets me ready, and it gets me excited, but at the same time, Nice and mellowed out before I can get hyped back up at the beginning of the episode. But how are you doing, buddy? It's actually really funny that you mentioned uh, What a Wonderful World by the Clarks because the Bar Down Breakdown podcast uh, on the network just had, oh, I forget the guy's name, Chris, and I can't pronounce his last name, but he's from a band called Punchline and they're from Pittsburgh. And he told a story that I won't blow the whole story. You should go listen to the podcast. Punchline was originally offered the spot of covering What a Wonderful World what a wonderful world that the penguins ended up giving to the clarks hmm. so fun fact that wasn't supposed to be the clarks but um it, it is now it's kind of more popular even he said they did a really good job of it but it <laughs> kind of hurt that they took it from them and as to how i'm doing i'm doing great i uh, went out and played in the snow today like a child because there you go i I like the snow. I like playing in the snow. I know I'm 23 years old and still love playing in the snow. I don't care. It's a damn blizzard out there right now, basically. Uh, and I have I had some fun in it. It's I enjoy winter. I'm one of the few. Yeah, you guys up up in Pennsylvania, you guys had the really nice. I mean, I wouldn't say nice, but you guys had the snow that laid down. You could you could have snowball fights. You could go play in the snow. We got slush for oh. 12 straight hours down here literally freezing rain as it came down and just layered the ground so not as much fun down here in virginia but i guess that's something i'll have to get used to yeah i mean it's a busy town down there i mean i'm sure downtown pittsburgh was nothing but slush as well but uh yeah out in suburbia here the snow settles nicely and uh it's a lot of fun except for whenever you have to drive thankfully i didn't have to do any of that today um i do that tomorrow and then i deliver friday so hopefully the snow is gone by then yeah, well, let's hope that is for you, and it'll be a lot easier to drive if it does cease and, and kind of melt up a little bit before then. But we have a really good show for you guys today. As we usually do on our Thursday episodes, we're going to have our shout-outs and call-outs segment to wrap up this show a little bit later. But we're going to start off with another trade tree. The last time we did a trade tree, we discussed how the Penguins turned Jeff Norton yeah. Yes, the man on the Mario Lemieux statue, and that's not Mario Lemieux. We turned him into Mike Matheson, Colton <laughs> Sevier, P.O. Joseph, and Jason Zucker on today's iteration of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, of course, other players such as Kessel, other players that were included in that. If you want to hear that, and if that piques your interest and you didn't hear it the first time, go back and check out episode 77 of the Tip of the Iceberg back in season one. That is when we went down that trade tree. But Horwat, in his astuteness, has brought us another trade tree to discuss. And this one carries a little bit more weight, if you can actually believe it. Yeah. This one 
means business. The names are definitely a little bit bigger, and I'll let Horwat get into more of it right now. Yeah, so whenever I found the Horquist trade tree, or at least was taking notes for it, I found it a long time ago, and I think I told that story then. But I was digging through old notes looking for something for whenever I was writing uh, this week, and I stumbled across this Mark Recchi trade tree that I never finished. I got a few pieces in and kind of just quit. I must have gotten lazy or something. Went back through it, and do I spoil the ending now and say who it's for, or do I just... so basically? Oh, no, let's keep it a surprise. Oh, so we're going to keep it a surprise who this goes to? Okay, cool. So, first off, everyone knows Mark Recchi. Hall of Famer, drafted by the Penguins. I don't have his draft information, but after we won the Cup in 1991, it was time to shed some teammates, shed some players, because that's what you have to do to continue building a winning team. And we decided to trade Mark Recchi as one of those fallouts. Traded him and Brian Benning, I should say, for one, two, three players and a draft pick. First player, Shell Samuelson, uh, played 184 games with the Penguins as a defenseman. Not bad all around, I guess. 184 games is a couple seasons at least. Uh, but he left in free agency after a little while, so there's that. We also picked up Ken Reggett, who Ken Reggett is a name that you have heard quite often in Penguins history. 212 games, 104 wins. He's the fourth most wins in Penguins history. So uh, good old Kenny Reggett. Yeah. And then we also picked up uh, the Flyers' third-round pick. We traded Mark Recchi to L.A., but they gave us the Flyers' third-round pick, who we turned into Dave Roche, who played left wing, 134 games. Again, a name for in Penguins history. Nothing too much. But the big key in this whole trade from Mark Recchi to L.A. was Rick Tockett, who you know played right wing. Everyone knows the Rick Tockett story in Pittsburgh, right? From that season. Oh, yeah, Rocket Tockett. Yeah. Um, in total, Talk played in 150, 150 games for 179 points. Um, and we'll get to that part of it in a minute uh, because we're going to go down the Ken Reggett portion of this trade tree. If you're following along, yeah. write it down because this is going to be hard. Yeah. And before we move on with that, I, I, I think we should just talk for really quickly about the fact that this trade, the big names in it were Mark Reckie and Rick Tockett. And yeah. it was one of the big trades of the Craig Patrick era. Yes. So, one of the huge ones. Exactly. And this was something that Mark Recchi was a young gun in the NHL at this point. I know it's hard for some of the, the younger Penguins fans to imagine, but at this point, Mark Recchi was the young and budding superstar for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was a key cog in that 1991 Stanley Cup championship. So it was really weird whenever Craig Patrick went out and not only traded this, this young superstar, but traded him for somebody from the Philadelphia Flyers, yeah. like Rick Tockett, a pure power forward. I mean, Craig Patrick was looking for grit, and he definitely got it. And for the younger Penguins fans that weren't around in that, in that time, I mean, I wasn't either, but you knew him as the assistant coach to the Penguins in 16 and 17, and I believe in 15, 16 as well. But he kind of epitomized that as a player too, just kind of a gritty power forward in your face. But I'll let you uh, – I digress to you, Horowat, but I just wanted to, to dive a little bit deeper into that that specific yeah. trade that led off this tree. No, absolutely. It's good that you're digging in because I'm going to fly through it. Please butt in at any point. And <laughs> realizing a mistake I made already, this was a trade to Philadelphia. I think I said it was to LA. I wrote that down in my notes. It was to LA. Don't know where that mishap happened, but to Philadelphia. And I think that was kind of known anyway. Yeah. Um, Recky to Philly for talk it for talk it basically. Yeah. So I messed up those notes, but Hey, 
what's funny is I mentioned that the Penguins acquired a third round choice and draft and picked Dave Roche in this trade. Ken Reggett and Dave Roche were both again traded together uh, to Calgary in 1998 for some more players that the Penguins would pick up. We mentioned the history of Ken Reggett already. Dave Roche, 132 games played, but they were traded to Calgary in 1998 for German Titov, who is a small piece of Penguins history, but a very good player. And Todd Halushko, who we won't even go over because he never played a game in Pittsburgh. That's and just how things go. Create a player number six. Basically, Mark Dunk, if you will. Um, but he never played a game in Pittsburgh and was a center. I don't know anything about him. But we'll go to German Titov. He played. 138 games for 135 games for 98 points again not much but was a name at the time and was able to produce a little bit but he was traded just straight up one for one to Edmonton in 2004 uh here we go Joseph Biranak if I'm even getting that name right forward who played 91 games with the Penguins again not not much you know footnote. he contributed he officially contributed <laughs> Yeah, he officially contributes on a score sheet somewhere. I don't have more stats. I didn't, I didn't write down more stats than 91 games, but hey, a name in Penguins history. We lost him to the Czech League after that, so that's where the Ken Reggett and Dave Roche portion of this end. Uh, but now we jump into the meat and potatoes of this whole thing. Uh, we're back to Rick Tockett, who, after his 150 games, him and a second-round pick were shipped to L.A. Maybe that's where this confusion happened from before. Yeah, <laughs> they shipped him to L.A. for long forgotten Penguin, Luke Robitaille. And, and it's funny you mentioned that now I do see the and now I'm noticing the L.A. Kings hat and I noticed the uh, the irony of that and all of it. Oh. But there's even more irony if you think about this again, relating it to Penguins fans of today and younger Penguins fans. Rick Tockett, the story of Rick Tockett as a Pittsburgh Penguin and the story of Phil Kessel as a Pittsburgh Penguin, have an mm-hmm. eerie amount of similarities. Yeah. Kessel came in, four seasons, a lot of success, and then was traded. Talkett came in, three seasons, a lot of success. He, he was part of the 1992 Stanley Cup champions. He was part of the 1993, the sole President's Trophy winning Pittsburgh Penguin squad. And then, of course, getting traded away for, as you mentioned, somebody who is surprisingly a forgotten name in Penguins history yeah. is, is Luke Robitaille because he's obviously well-known for playing in, in different places. But, yeah. I mean, the guy was a Hockey Hall of Famer, and it almost seems like he's just a footnote in Penguins history. I think what may have done him in with the Penguins is the fact that he joined during a lockout year. So he there was only 48 games in the season, and he only played 46 of those before he was traded again. But in those 46 games, he had 42 points. And another little-known fact, he has an overtime playoff goal against the Capitals while with the Penguins. So There's nothing more that. Pittsburgh than that. So we love him for that. He's a Penguin for life. I mean, hey, he's an NHL 100 player. There is a brief mention that he was on the Penguins. So you got that going for you, right? But <laughs> Luke Robitaille, at the point of retirement, uh, was the highest-scoring left-winger of all time. And Ovechkin's a left-winger, correct? Yes. So that's getting passed if he hasn't already passed him. Uh, but Luke Robitaille, Hall of Famer, all-time great. You can say he was a Penguin for a cup of coffee, if you will. Uh, but in 1995, him and Ulf Samuelson, who was acquired from another big popular trade in Pittsburgh a long time a long time before this. Um, they were the both 91 shipped. trade. Yep. 
which isn't as much to follow, but I'll digress. Luke Robitaille, Ole Samuelson in 1995, shipped to the New York Rangers for Peter Nedved and Sergei Zubov, yet another Hall of Famer that we forget played for the Penguins for a season. And not only did Zubov play for the Penguins for a season, played 64 games, led defensive scoring that season uh, with 66 points. And that season was the year the Penguins went to, it was 1994-95, or 95-96, I should say, when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost to the Rat Trick Florida Panthers. Hell of a team, man. But, again, one season of Zubov, that's about it. One of those moves that you wish you could have had back. What's what I'm about to say, at least, is when they win in 1996, they traded him to Dallas, where he would go on to become the Hall of Famer that he was, uh, where we picked up Kevin Hatcher in that trade. For what it's worth, Kevin Hatcher, 220 games played at the Penguins and 140 points. That's not terrible. No, that's that's second line points in that era. Yeah, but it's not Hall of Fame Sergei Zubov. Stuff. No, not even close. But Kevin Hatcher, after those 220 games, you know, now it's 1999, traded to New York, to the New York Rangers. The Rangers are involved in this a lot. Should probably get that. Probably, should probably say that. Uh, for Peter Popovich, who it just keeps getting worse after Zubov, man. 54 games, another defenseman. Six points, he would leave as a free agent. That's where that line ends. So if you're still yeah. following along, this is yeah. RK Zubov. Led to nothing for the Penguins, really. And as you're here at this kind of like clipped branch with, with Peter Popovich, you mentioned the New York Rangers. That's something else that I noticed as soon as you sent this over to me. And it's interesting because in the 90s, the Rangers were just as much as an arch enemy, if not more than the Philadelphia Flyers or how much the, the Penguins and the Capitals are at odds today. That was the Rangers in the 90s. And yes, we did renew that rivalry in the early 2010s to mid 2010s with the Rangers, but it was never as heated as it was back in the nineties. And yet you see all these trades for these big names and all of these trades happening between yeah. these two teams. It's very surprising looking back, you know, with, with hindsight, but I guess hindsight being 2020 in, in those days, I'd love to talk to, to any fans that in those days saw that and, and see if they thought the same thing that, if we would think if the Penguins and the Capitals today were to make a trade like that. So that's something to look for yeah. in the future, of course. Yeah. And in, I mean, overall in this entire tree that I'm reading out to you, four trades were involved the, the Rangers right up until almost the last one. So it's pretty interesting seeing how, how involved they were in this whole situation. Uh, but ironically not involved with the recce part of it at all. It's just everything that is stemmed from it. Um, but we are tailing all the way back to the Peter Nedved portion of this, where Peter Nedved really made a name for himself within Pittsburgh fans for, again, another overtime goal against Washington. But this one came in, what, the eighth overtime, basically? Uh, I don't think it was the eighth overtime. I forget which one it was exactly. I was I trying it was to... the fourth overtime or fifth overtime, but. Yeah. But he, you know, set himself up in Penguins history with that. Overall, though, 154 games, 170 points. Not bad. Again, respectable for that team. That 95-96 team that I mentioned, Zubov leading defense, Nedved was fourth on the team in scoring, but 99 points behind uh, Lemieux, Yager, and Francis, who all had over 100 and were playing on the same line together. 
<laughs> you weren't stopping that team unless you played for Florida, apparently. But Nedved, Nedved plus, oh, I got to remember these names. Chris Tamer, who I believe led the team in penalty minutes that year, and Sean Pronger were traded to, again, the New York Rangers. For Harry York, who played two games, and I and I looked into those two games, he played eight total shifts with the Penguins Oof. before being claimed on waivers by someone. And Alex Kovalev. One of both of our favorite early 2000s yeah. era Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, 346 games, 347 points. Uh, just a hair over a point per game. You'd love to see it. Um, one of the most underrated players probably of all time. Do you have any more on it before I dig into the real, real meat and potatoes of how this starts to get really interesting? I mean, this is also the second player in this entire trade tree if you include both Mark Recchi and Alex Kovalev, who had really good years in their young formative seasons with the Pittsburgh Penguins and then returned towards the tail end of their careers yeah. as well. So yeah. another was, similarity just to, to tie this tree together. Yeah, whenever I was writing the notes, I had to actually erase and remember that Kovalev came back and the numbers mm -hmm. I had weren't exactly correct. But now's when things get interesting because Alex Kovalev would have probably stayed with the Penguins for at least a couple more seasons if the Penguins weren't on a hell train toward bankruptcy again and toward leaving and all this other stuff. So the Penguins had to ship off Kovalev and also Yager uh, like two years prior just for money and for space. So in 2003, Alex Kovalev was shipped back to the New York Rangers where he had won a cup of won a Stanley cup few years prior um, for a bunch of names, but those names were Joel Bouchard who played seven games in Pittsburgh, Richard Lint Lintner who played 19, 19 games in Pittsburgh scored three goals. Uh, Rico Fata, who if, if Rico Fata, <laughs> if you remember the early 2000s Penguins, you remember Rico Fata's name. Just because there's several listeners whose ears just perked up at, at the name Rico Fata. I mean, he played 120 games and put up 47 points with us. And it was, he was special. I guess you could say he's a, he was a number six overall pick whenever he was drafted. But one fun fact is, like I said, if you remember the early 2000s teams, remember them not being good in the 0304 season, Rico Fata was a minus 46. Oof. Yeah. There's no repairing that. No, no, that I, I think that itself lends itself to Rico Fata being placed into the bust category. Yeah, um, and that really hurts because some people think he could have been great just in a different era, but that's just the way it is. Of these names, though, none of them really mean anything except for the one I'm about to read, which is Michael Samuelson, who has who had a long NHL career for what it's worth. I mean, he would go on to be on the Detroit Red Wings team that we would lose to and then beat in the finals in 08 and 09. Yep. So he had a long, successful NHL career as a Stanley Cup champion at least. Uh, but in Pittsburgh, he played 22 games, scored a pair of goals. But in 2003, here's where it all gets fun. Samuelson, plus a second-round pick and the Penguins' first-round pick, were traded to Florida for two draft picks in the 2003 draft. A third-round pick where they chose Daniel Carcillo, who never played in Pittsburgh. We later flipped to 
Phoenix for George LaRock, and that's fun. Trading a buster for a buster. George Locke, 88 games, 15 points, 159 penalty minutes, all of them fights. We lost him to free agency a little bit after that. Great but, guy in the locker room, though. Absolutely. Great, char- great character guy. But that other draft pick that we got from Florida was the first-round pick, and it was the number one overall pick. And everyone knows where I'm going with this. The number one overall pick in 2003, Hall of Fame goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury. So now you've connected Mark Recchi to Marc-Andre Fleury, and I don't need to read down Flurry's stats. If you're a Penguin fan, you know all about him already. And that we lost him to expansion draft. And that is where the trade tree ends as well. But quite a hell of a ride we just took. If you can think of some of the names, some of the times that we had gone through in this journey. Yeah. Uh, some of the memories that are involved with the players that are part of this trade tree. Yeah, I mean, if you if you really think about it, it started in 1992 and kind of ended with the expansion draft in 2017. Yeah. So, I was going to say, you know, this trade tree spans just over a decade at 11 years, but realistically, it, if it if you consider it ending at the end of Flurry's tenure, then it spans yeah. for a lot longer than <laughs> that. That it spans at that point for almost 26, 27 years. Almost. Yeah. It's, I like thinking that it does expand that far because that is how much use you got out of them. And um, we could have traded them before the expansion and it could have continued from there. So Mm -hmm. I like thinking that the tree always lasts for as long as they're on the team, uh, which is why I always mention when people leave in free agency or go to the check league or just not play a game in Pittsburgh and no one knows what what happened to you. Like Todd Halushko, who's who I don't even know if I'm saying his name, right. (laughs) But there's that. And it's, this is a really interesting one. I mean, think of some of the names we discussed. I mean, there's three current hall of famers, definitely a future one in flurry. And I, don't I mean, we'll talk it ever get in there. Well, they, yeah, we'll talk it. Will they let Kovalev in? It's there's some names on this list and there's some mm-hmm. names in this trade tree that you got to remember all fell through Pittsburgh at some point. They may not have done much, but all integral parts to the history. I think. Yeah, and it just comes up in some of the stories we brought up. No, we did not bring up all of the stories from their time in Pittsburgh, but some of the highlights of these players that ran through this trade tree are some of the highlights of the Pittsburgh Penguins from 1992 the whole way up into 2017. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, and that even if you take Flurry out of it from 1992 to 2003, there's still plenty of stories involving all of these players as players. And back to what you were saying about, you know, you like to think, that the trade tree lives on until the last players on the tree leave Pittsburgh. Our previous trade tree that we talked about with Jeff Norton, there's four branches that are still, still growing and there's still a chance that those extend as well. Cause there's some young players on there and some value players on there. So that particular trade tree can still grow. This one, unfortunately has reached the end of its lineage, but as you mentioned, what a lineage it is, all those players, that were on there. You mentioned three current Hall of Famers. That's nothing to scoff at. So yeah. I, I took the liberties of throwing some some discussion questions down here for us to discuss Absolutely. about this trade tree. And the first one that I wanted to bring up is, who do you think is the best player involved here? We mentioned, like I said, so many Hall of Famers, potential Hall of Famers. Who do you feel is the best player in this tree? 
Are we talking best player or best penguin? Because there's there's two different answers to that for sure. Well, you're reading my mind, buddy. We're on the same wavelength. That was the next question. Okay. So don't put the cart before the horse. Let's let's go with best player first, and then we'll get into best penguin. Looking at this list of just names, I tend to lean toward Luke Robitaille, and I don't know why. It's just something about Luke Robitaille I really like, and it's not just the fact that he played for the Kings, you know, and had a sh- cup of coffee with the Penguins. It's the fact that he, I mean, he was drafted in the ninth round. That round doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> he was drafted that late in the NHL draft and worked his ass off to become, like I said, the at one point, the highest goal-scoring left winger ever. Won his cup in Detroit. I mean, the Detroit team he won the cup with was just laden with Hall of Famers <laughs> and veterans of just, it. that was such a weird team that you think, all those guys joining a team is just a bunch of old guys. What are they going to do? But they were still good enough to win a Stanley cup and give a couple players their first one. But um, I lean toward Luke Robitaille for that fact of just, he's been working to be, he worked to be in the league from the very beginning, made a name for himself, became one of the greatest um, and had records that held for a very long time. And being able to say he flew through Pittsburgh for a year is quite fun for us. Yeah, and listen, when I look down at this list, there's almost no wrong answer because these some of these players are transcendent. You mentioned NHL top 100, voted on as the top 100 players of all time as of right now. And some of these players are on that list. But when I'm looking at best, and it's mainly because I feel like this guy is criminally underrated. The only person that I feel like that could be criminally underrated yet be a Hockey Hall of Famer. And that's Mark Recchi. Now let's leave his coaching record to the side for this conversation. He came in, as I said, as that hotshot rookie for the Pittsburgh Penguins, won the Stanley Cup in 1991, added two more Stanley Cups by the end of his career. The guy had over 1,500 points in over 1,600 games. So yeah, he played for a long time, but he was productive up until the very end. In his last season in Boston, He played almost 82 games, but scored almost 50 points. So this guy was never not productive and he was always a great character guy. I would, I would tend to lean to Mark Recchi. No, he wasn't, you know, he didn't put up the uh, amazing numbers in the position that he had like Luke Robitaille did. But at the same time, Mark Recchi is a player that I think is criminally underrated, almost like a Brian Trottier is criminally underrated, but Recchi in, in his own right, because he bounced around so much and because he played for so long, it just became second nature. And nobody saw that. I feel like as superstar talent towards the end of his career, it was, Oh, he's just the veteran guy on the Boston Bruins with a young Tyler Sagan, Brad Marchand. Yeah. Big Z. It wasn't but, even that. He was the veteran guy on a Carolina team that was five years before. Guys. Yeah. Or the way he bounced around. I mean, people forget that. Yeah. Recky's a penguin. He played for the Flyers for a long time, played for the Canadians for a good amount of time. He took a very weird career trajectory, but interesting nonetheless. I mean, he got his successes, obviously. You can say he's a three-time Stanley Cup champion with three different teams. Yeah. And he's he's still in the league as a coach, and yes, it didn't work out in Pittsburgh, but... We'll see how it works out in New Jersey this year. We'll see yeah. what he what he does with the Devils. And I'm sure our, our buddy over at the Devil State of Mind podcast, Neil Villapiano, will make sure to remind us if, if Recky starts yeah. to succeed over there in the Garden State. 
Yeah, and we obviously hope he does. I mean, we don't want guys like that to fail. I mean, no. Unless they're with the Flyers, like Michelle mm-hmm. Terry in there, right? Michelle Terrian and he also, coach. yeah, he it, he's the assistant coach, and there's another another like former another like head Mike coach. Yo. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Interesting decisions by the Philadelphia Flyers when it comes to their bench bosses. Up on but... head coaches, it can't fail, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, we'll see if their egos can coexist for another season. But uh, now we'll get into the question that you, that you so eagerly mm-hmm. eagerly wanted to answer earlier, and that is, which player in this trade tree made the most significant impact to the Pittsburgh Penguins as a player? So yes, we know Taka was a coach. We know Recky was a coach. We're ignoring that as a player. Which one of these guys made the biggest impact? I mean, it's obviously Flurry, right? Yeah, there's not really any yeah. a, any discussion there. Uh, you look at some of the the lines for these these guys. I mean, Mark Recchi in 389 games had 385 points, which is crazy. Uh, even more so crazy, Rick Tockett 179 points, 150 games. Both of those guys, Stanley Cup champions. But Flurry, I'll read the stats, and then you can just go off yeah. on on what he meant to the city. Cause I know we could both explain that for, for hours on end, but I mean, flurry 375 wins as a Pittsburgh penguin in 691 games played 44 shutouts, three Stanley cup championships. Of course, all of those numbers that I just mentioned, Pittsburgh penguins records. Mm-hmm. He is the goat Pittsburgh penguin goaltender. He is. And there's no dispute in that. There's not. And he's going to hold those numbers for a long time, considering how, weird the goalie position can be and we've and as an organization we've either had quick turnover at the goalie position or they've stayed for 10 years and that's two people really him and Barrasso that's it everyone else has kind of just been filing in and out Um, their backups have kind of filed in and out except for Ken Raggett who I mentioned earlier he's who by the way is a good starter in his own right Mm -hmm. um but I digress back to Flurry, and yeah, it's more than what he did on the ice. Obviously, he helped us win three Stanley Cups, not just the one in 09. That was all his, but he was uh, still an important piece to the back-to-backs in 16 and 17. And just off the ice, just one of the best characters this league has ever seen, and the amount of pranks he'll pull. I mean, some of the videos that we that will still pop <laughs> up of him taping sleeves or doing whatever it may be is awesome and did anyone in pittsburgh want him to leave no no one wanted to see him leave except for maybe the crotchety old man that was calling him a crotchety old man but i digress on that again i mean Flurry in vegas went to a stanley cup final was a vesna was almost a vesna candidate once and i mean does he still have some good years left in him who's we'll see i guess but uh, for now, the stuff he did in Pittsburgh is stuff of legend and stuff that's going to put him in the Hall of Fame. And I can remember we've been having this discussion for a couple of years, and the more we have the discussion, I've definitely come around to the idea of it. Of a flurry being a Hall of Famer is what you're, you're, you're yeah, talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, it's something that the Pittsburgh fans are going to pine for whenever whenever the end of Flurry's career does come around and he becomes eligible for the Hockey Hall of Fame. It, it, it's an argument that needs to be made especially as he continues to climb up the all-time wins list now be that as it may people say whether that matters or not it, it does it and at the end of the day it matters now i want to finish off this conversation with one last question about this trade tree and it, it it it's an easy question Horwat. is which trade in this in this trade tree had the biggest impact on the pittsburgh penguins we say 
Fleury was the biggest impact player, but does that necessarily translate to his trade becoming the biggest impact trade? Um, I think it's the Kovalev trade that becomes the most, the, the mo- with, sorry, the Kovalev trade is the one that has the most impact because it was at a time where if we didn't ship him off, we're probably falling into bankruptcy some way, one way or the other because we couldn't afford to pay him. We had to get rid of him. And who we got back were, yeah, these four no-names. And, I mean, three of them played a grand total of under 50 games with us. <laughs> I mean, and then one of them went on to be terrible with us, but who cares? Because the one we were able, who was a veteran, we were able to, again, flip into a Hall of Fame goaltender. So, yeah, it's kind of low-hanging fruit picking multiple moves as the most important trade but i think the kovlev one because it was able to stem into the flurry one and it also had the impact of keeping the penguins afloat it was more Mm -hmm. than just a than just a player trade for the ice for getting guys on the ice and for acquiring talent it was a move that had to be made business-wise that's Mm -hmm. so there's a whole extra seed to the kovlev trade yeah it's hard to disagree with that it really is, but I'm going to try to anyway ahead, because yeah. that's what I en- enjoy doing. I like uh, con- being on the opposite side of you, Horwat, as you well know. But Thanks for great conversation. I, <laughs> I know mine's going to be the Michael Samuelson for that draft pick. The the, the trade mm-hmm. that brought Marc-Andre Fleury's pick to the Pittsburgh Penguins for the simple reason that look at the beginning of Mario Lemieux's career, and I know that this might be off the wall. 1984, Mario Lemieux is drafted first overall to the Pittsburgh Penguins. When did they win their first Stanley Cup? 1991. Seven years later. You know what a big portion of that was and what a big portion of getting that team from, hey, it's Mario and the team's not going to go far, but Mario's going to be fun to watch too. This team is a perennial contender. You want to know what trade made that happen? When they traded friend of the show Doug Bodger to the Buffalo Sabres for Tommy Barrasso because every Stanley Cup champion team needs a goaltender Mm -hmm. and the move that brings them there is always pivotal and for the pittsburgh penguins that happens to be in this trade tree michael samuelson to the florida panthers some picks exchanged brings mark andre Fleury to the pittsburgh penguins as we're already talking possible hall of famer could be the fourth hall of famer added to this trade tree but also three-time stanley cup champion say what you will about 2016 and 2017 he contributed, and he deserves to be known as the Stanley Cup champion, especially in 2017. Yeah. And the absolutely. guy holds every record you could hold for a Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender. So, to me, the biggest move, although I do agree with you, it was a massive move with the Kovalev thing, the impact on that, you know, being able to keep the team in Pittsburgh, matched with the, the trade of Yarmir Yager a couple of years prior. Those were huge impact moves for the Pittsburgh Penguins that let them bottom out to get to the point where they could draft a Marc-Andre Fleury Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby in successive years, that was massive. Yeah. But to me, I like the way I like to look at this. The trade that brought Marc Andre Fleur to the Pittsburgh Penguins is the biggest impact trade and, and just happens to be the second to last trade date wise that happened in this tree. Yeah. And it's a few other facts on it. I mean, first of all, I didn't realize that we didn't have that pick at first. I don't know why I didn't realize that. I didn't know we traded for it at all. I just assumed, I mean, they were a bad team. They definitely had that number one overall pick locked up already. I didn't realize they had to trade their first round pick, which was the third overall, mm-hmm. um, to Florida for it. 
By the way, that third overall pick that we did trade to Florida, Florida picks Nathan Horton. Decent player, had a decent career, but nobody's crying Hall of Fame for him. Yeah, and the second round pick, I didn't write down who uh, Florida picked for it because I think they shipped it and things happened with that. It yeah. wasn't a name. Um, but, yeah, the trade to – I mean, we saw our guy. We knew Flurry was our guy apparently and enough so to trade away – to move up two spots um, and not just two spots, two huge spots because it was top three. Um, and they, we didn't even want the threat of a goalie, which strangely enough takes number one overall that I can't remember. I think it's only happened one or two other times. I can't remember them though, but I guess we didn't think he would be there at number three. So not only did we move to have him to pick him. Uh, we moved up two spots and it that shows what kind of impact I guess not only us but other teams may have thought of flurry and thought what knew what he could do in the future and also we got Daniel Carcillo out of it right guys some interesting training camp stories that's for sure yeah I mean hey where would Paul Bissonette be without some Daniel Carcillo stories so exactly (laughs) it's all great i mean there's some it's more than just players that have played for pittsburgh on this there's some entertaining stuff i mean harry york eight shifts he played six minutes with this team but is somehow involved in this i mean it's it's just fun going back and i love trade trees i wish i could find more and just draw these up every day well you can rest assured everybody listening to this that if there is another trade tree to be found if you know of one and you want us to talk about one let us know Send us a text message, send us a message on on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you can get in contact with us. Let us know. We'll definitely dive deep into it and and present it as we present the last two. But we'll definitely keep an eye out and try to find some more of these because it is always fun, you know, listening to these and hearing stories about about all of these as well. Yeah, whether long or short, I mean, as long as there's a good story behind it, I don't mind it. Like like those one-for-ones that happen and there's no big story behind them, it just kind of – it's a dud. It's like a draft pick that never makes it for a minor league. No, not one of those. But ones with stories like how Recky turned into Flurry or – How Norton turned into four current players. How Norton turned into bronze outside the the building. I mean, it's (laughs) – it's it's always fun going through those. I'm trying to remember even a small one in my head right now, but I can't. It's all interesting. Um, hope to hear more and hope to find more. And if I ever just get bored at work or bored while writing, that's usually how I find these. So yep, that's bound to happen while I'm still working from home for the time being. Anyway, we can move go, on man. now. That's the end of that. Um, I'm a, I'm not going to assume there's going to be a graphic. I'm going to ask, is there going to be a graphic made for this? We'll have to see. It depends on my work schedule in the next couple of days. <laughs> Sounds good because I I know I can't do any of that. <laughs> yeah, so keep keep your eyes peeled on our our social media pages yeah. at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, as well as Tip of the Iceberg Podcast on Facebook. So keep an eye out for those graphic representation of this trade tree. If yep. you didn't want to write it down yourself while you were listening along, but we are going to move along here on the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, our weekly segment. Shout outs and call outs. Bring it right back here to the tip of the iceberg. 
This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. We've got hockey talk. Those are the moments you're a sports fan for. Um, those are the moments where, you know, you're down 3 nothing, and the team has this amazing comeback. And the guy who you want, who you really are thinking this needs to be the star of this team, has a hat trick. We've got beer. It has a unicorn on the can. An easy drinking beer that's just delicious. We want to help you understand the sport you love better. What kind of things are you looking for to understand the game better? What, you know, what's a couple of things someone who's watching the game at home when things start up here in a few weeks or if they're watching college hockey, what's going on right now? What kind of things would they be looking for to try and understand the game better or what's happening in the game, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it's it's something that's evergreen. Um... Listen to Jackets Debrief, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm hoping the audio is sounding all right. I'm realizing that I think it might be coming through my headphones, so so we'll have to see in post-production how this is, and I'll try to work some of my post-production magic, but... We're going to move along here with shout outs and call outs as we always do to finish out the posting week here at the tip of the iceberg podcast. Horwat, let's say we start out with call outs this week. I'll let you lead it. Well, now I got to flip sides of my notes. That's okay. Um, Keeping you on your toes, buddy. A little bit. Yeah. So mine's a fun one because so I work, I have always mentioned this. I work at intercom media. I have to work social media stuff. And the big one we use is Facebook. I hate Facebook personally, and this is part of the reason. Um, I'm calling out the people who leave, who leave Facebook comments that are so long that the see more button has to come up. <laughs> like, first of all, uh, I already cannot stand it when people get in arguments in Facebook comments. It's, I, I'm not going to dive into that because I, I'll, I'll lose friends over it, but <laughs> For the people who just leave comments, unsolicited ones nonetheless, not even ones that are in response to people, but just say I post something about it news-wise. Um, and obviously, like, it's not my story. It's like an AP story or something. But just the people that want to comment these long laundry list comments where I need to hit see more. And I only I don't have to. I hit see more because I'm bored at work and I'm reading every comment. <laughs> So I hit see more and it's just more stuff of just the same nonsense because none of it's usually accurate. It's just a bunch yeah. of opinions that you're spewing all over our, our comment feed that I don't know. It's it's annoying to me. It's got to be annoying to people just trying to scroll through. 
and you're wasting your time because a you're on Facebook and Facebook keeps losing integrity every day. And B, if you really feel that passionately about it, write more than a Facebook comment. Like, well, that's just the thing. They think they're writing their own article in, in the comment section. I mean, to be fair, like a lot of times I used to think, why are you leaving comments? It's not like anyone's reading them. Well, here I am, this the social media worker reading the damn comment. But um, that's as far as it goes. Usually it just goes to me. I laugh at it and move on. So uh, if, if you really think your Facebook comments getting through to anyone, it's just me reading it and giggling and getting back to work. Hmm. So you've done your job, I guess. You, uh, you warrior of the internet. You, uh, I'm trying to think of fun words, but I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble for anything. <laughs> Weekend warrior, stuff like that. I don't know. I've heard keyboard clansman. That's always a fun one. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's a little, that one's a little rough. Yeah, I saw you jump there. I, I didn't want to say that one earlier, but it, uh, fuck it. Here we are. Uh, well, Welcome to the end of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it is, is the end of the recording week here for us. Uh, I guess I'll move over to mine, which kind of technically also deals with social media. And it circles around Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster <laughs> dancing on the Buffalo Bills logo. Horat, where do you think I'm going with this? Because I'm sure that I'm going to surprise you. Oh, that we deserved that loss if that's the case. Now, listen, I don't particularly like desecrating another team's logo. And by desecrating, he was dancing on it. At stomping on the logo, it's similar to when every, anybody stomps on the terrible towel. That Pittsburgh fans get take offense to it. I understand, you know, you don't step on the logo in a locker room, especially in hockey. There's mm-hmm. a lot more superstitions about that. But the reaction to the way that he did this and the reaction that he got for doing this was extremely overboard. People mm-hmm. saying that he lost them the game. He gave the other team the incentive to beat them. Listen, this was the first Sunday night football game in Buffalo. In Buffalo, yeah. I was trying to remember where it was at. In yeah. Buffalo for over like 15 years. This team has been a loser, for lack of a better term. They've been losers since prior to Tom Brady becoming a quarterback in the National Football League. They don't need any more motivation to go out there against another opponent in a late week when they have to prove that they're a top team. This didn't do anything. This provided a a headline for people. That's all it was. People saying that it cost them the game. That's bull crap. That somebody dancing their pregame notions doesn't cost you anything unless they get injured. Now, Juju hasn't been the one dropping balls the last three weeks that has been reserved for some of the younger receivers and tight ends on the, on the team that I'm not going to call out right now because they already deal with it from, from Steelers Twitter. So I'm not going to put it on Penn's Twitter as well, but anybody ever stopped to think that maybe he was just doing that to take some of the heat off of the younger receivers. Like, Hey, Throw all the heat on this for me instead of throwing it on, I'll say it now, Deontay Johnson, who had a couple more drops. Or for Eric Ebron. Like, yeah, they dropped the ball, but you know what? I I desecrated a logo, and that's a bigger headline. So maybe he did it for that reason. I'm not sure why he did it. But saying that he lost them the game for that, the guy had six receptions on seven targets, 55 yards, and a touchdown. So it's not like he played a bad game. It didn't really affect the way that he played. And he truck-sticked a middle linebacker. So I just – I didn't – I didn't – I wouldn't have done it myself, to be completely honest. I am very superstitious about mm-hmm. logos and stuff like that, maybe because I have a background in hockey, and hockey's a little bit more superstitious. But I wouldn't have done it, 
but I'm not gonna crucify the kid for doing it. So Juju brought the is the one that brought them brought this up himself. There was a, I mean, he posted it on his TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. I, I know I saw but the video. It was brought like, up by everybody on social media. One of the Bills defensive backs mentioned something about, oh yeah, that gives that fires us up a little bit. Which you know, if if you need something like that to fire you up for an NFL game and the stakes that were at stake on that Sunday night game, then you, you're just a sorry mistake for a professional athlete at that point. Okay. I, I think that it's different with Juju himself because, I mean, he's been doing these TikTok things all season. It's in, in some of the media in Pittsburgh, it's seen as really childish and not a good thing. This, that, the other. Yeah. So if, yeah someone in your own media market is going to find it this way then everyone else in every other market is just going to follow that because negativity towards other markets is kind of what thrives so i see where uh i almost said sabers where bills players were coming from and they can hop on that as to say you know you were dancing on our logo that's just not what you do and let's be real it's not but it's again it's it's a little different when it's a on the field and b you you play all over that logo anyway. Like, are like is the other team not allowed to take a snap at the fifty? Like, where do where do you stand on that now? But I get where people were coming from with it, and because it was Juju and TikTok and how quote unquote controversial whatever it is in this town, let alone others, I see why it became a thing. At least I don't care either way because yeah. a maybe you shouldn't have done it b you still lost so who really gives a damn c it's just a social media app like i said before with facebook who cares it's social media it was something used by the sunday night football broadcast as a storyline in a game that was subpar mm-hmm. and it turned into an internet argument debate internet headlines and stuff like that listen i don't Juju is a 24-year-old. Yeah, Juju's 24 years old. He's going to be a kid. Yeah. He is who he is, and he's going to stay like that. And that's good. Stay true to who you are. Don't conform to other people. The only thing I'm going to mention to close this out is, what if this was in baseball? Um, what, like, we, think what football, we think football fans are like old crotchety, get off my lawn, no fun league. The MLB, they almost tossed Fernando Tatis out of the league just for being oh, fun. Okay. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, no, uh, I think that's just more pitchers, not all of baseball, because yeah. we've seen hitters get young and fun. I, that's just pitchers being assholes and, and commentators. Oh, dude, uh, one day I'll I'll call out Bob Walk. He's the worst, and he's a <laughs> he's a Pirates color commentator, and he's terrible yeah. at it. But uh, I digress. Yeah, it's it's there are just some things that. Thank God football is not super superstitious or um, not even superstitious, but like so in their ways about old school stuff like that, 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 that this story hasn't blown up mm. as big as it has. But either way, I see both sides of it. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Well, let's finish off the week with some some shout outs, some positive vibes to send you guys to the weekend. Horwat, do you want to lead us off on this or would you like me to? I'll give you the option this time. I can do it. Mine's quick because I just want to shout out anyone who's good at wrapping gifts. It's the holiday season. We're all wrapping gifts. and uh, I'm improving every season or every yeah. year, I should say. I used to be decent at it. I don't know what happened. I think it just started 
putting gifts in bags and calling it a day. So I kind of lost my touch. Uh, but I tr- I've been trying to wrap gifts and it's, oh, it's ugly, man. It's ugly. So anyone, yeah. who's, anyone who's good at wrapping gifts, shout out to you. You have a gift. Oh, ah, I see what I did there. There you go. Uh, yeah, I think it was last year. My girlfriend, of course, as you know, Kayla, she's big into wrapping gifts. So she told me, you know, you should try to wrap a gift a little bit better. And she, she showed me some of her, her gift wrapping Zen Buddha ways. So <laughs> I, I'll mention there, I still can't tie a, tie a bow or a ribbon on it. That's still like, I can do that. Magic to me. I can do that. No, I, I always mess it up trying to line the line it up and everything. No, but I can, I can get the gift wrapping to look, you know, a little bit close to par. Yeah. I mean, me and Megan are both not good at it. Our tree looked ugly. <laughs> Hey, you, you win some, you lose some, as I say usually on this podcast. But it's also, it's not about the wrapping or how good the wrapping is. It is about what is inside the wrapping and what it means to the other person. And of course, the love and family, that's what it is all about. Am I right? Did you just turn into a Hallmark card for like five seconds? I may I, have. I, I have like four cards sitting right here that I have to sign and send out anyway. So maybe that's kind of <laughs> what got me doing that. But uh, yeah, so... <laughs> go on with yours if you will you're definitely into the holiday season buddy i can tell you that for sure but my shout out this week goes to the streaming site peacock now i did have a call out i believe it was just over a month ago of the streaming site netflix for dropping the office which is my favorite sitcom of all time but i think you both shouted out and called out netflix that episode i did I, i did in fact do that so i'm shouting out peacock because they sent me an email this past Monday. It was a very good email. I was very happy about it. Uh, it was addressed to me as a memo from one David Wallace. And if you are a fan of The Office, you understand who David Wallace is. So David Wallace personally emailed me is what I'm going to go with. And you're going to go with it too. And, and I'll read you this, this personal email that he sent me. It was about a memo on December 14th of 2020 to all employees from David Wallace. Colleagues. It is with great pride that I announce that Peacock will be streaming the documentary footage that was shot at Dunder Mifflin Scranton between 2005 and 2013. We're very excited about our collaboration with Peacock, and we wanted to give you all employees a summary of what Peacock will be streaming starting January 1st of 2021. First of all, every single episode, 201 in total of The Office. Secondly, Superfan episodes that include never-before-seen footage and deleted scenes in extended cuts of the original series, starting with Season 3, with more coming in March. Okay, that had me excited. Playlists to chronicle pranks featuring Jim Halpert and Dwight K. Schrute, Best Office Romances, Jim Halpert and Pam Beasley, and Office Words of Wisdom, featuring former regional manager Michael Scott. And lastly, The Office Zen, which is going to be a 24-7 channel devoted to the sights and sounds of the office for anyone working at home during this pandemic. Quote, we look forward to our continued success with Peacock and to steal a phrase from our feathered friends. Welcome to the flock. Sincerely, David Wallace. That is the greatest friggin' email. And like that was a promotional email. Yeah. That's like the greatest piece of promotion I think I've ever heard or seen. That's incredible. And it's really funny that, uh, the office is going on Peacock because Megan bought me the complete series on DVD. <laughs> oh, hey, well, hey, it's nice to have it. That same thing happened to me when my favorite show of all time, Sons of Anarchy, was taken off of Netflix. I was heartbroken. Mm-hmm. I was given the full complete series of the Sons of Anarchy on Blu-ray DVD. 
and about a month later it was put on hulu so uh, i mean there's nothing wrong with having the physical copy it's awesome having those discs and the big case that it comes in but mm-hmm. no that's the greatest piece of promotional anything i've ever seen because uh i mean i figured that the office was going to be pushed to another streaming site <clears throat> i didn't know which one it would be i kind of forgot they were on nbc, NBC. when they yeah. initially aired back in 2013 yeah and Jeez. just the way that was worded and you got to be deep into the office to understand a, couple a lot of, of what i just said yeah. <laughs> yeah you had to have at least watched it i think at least once or twice to understand all of the nuances of what i just said but i was completely and utterly enthralled by this this email i was very excited i i looked at it and i was i was genuinely surprised at how great of a marketing tactic that was yeah and what's really funny is i know i don't have peacock but i use it's free so oh well <laughs> I mean, it's just on my TV, and I just don't know. I don't know whose account it is, but I'm sure that email is somewhere in my dad or stepmom's uh, <laughs> inbox. So, um, that's you got to tell them to tell them to look out for it. <laughs> oh, I'll be keeping an eye on that. And it's cool that they're making a whole 24 seven thing. Like, yeah, I, that's something that is on Peacock a lot. There's there's channels you can go down, and it's certain shows that just 24-7, it's that, and it runs through it. I know there's one for, for Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen that we watched a little bit. Uh, there's a Tonight Show one, uh, all kinds of, just a lot of the NBC shows that they literally have. I think there's a Parks and Rec one as well that it's just 24-7, just runs them in order. So it, it's a cool service. Uh, it is free as of right now. There are some premium services, so I mean, no free ads, but currently I'm watching Suits on there, which is a very, very good show. So I highly suggest that to anybody who is looking for a show right now. Well, I'll have to start watching stuff on Peacock. Uh, I think we have one of the premium ones. I don't know exactly. Um, but I speaking of shows, finished shows and watching, I just finished Shit's Creek finally. I just started Shit's Creek, so uh, we will be able to talk about Great. that in, in, in a little bit. <laughs> uh, good. I good. Yeah. Well, I won't say any more say anything more i guess what i never finished speaking of watching shows i got about halfway through the first season of designated survivor and i've not gone back to it uh yeah i haven't even started it so very uh, bad I think at fair to say designated survivor will not live long on this show i'm very bad at watching shows i have a whole list of shows that i've started and never finished yeah there, there's some shows that you just you can't you can't do it i tried blacklist several times haven't been able to get through it Sorry, Horwat. Letter Kenny falls under the same thing for me. I've yet to be able, which is weird because it's so short. Two so weeks, I, two weeks until the new season. <laughs> there you go, no buddy. Free so, no, no free ads. I think that's a great place to end it before we we keep giving out free advertisements here at the end end of the recording week. Horwat, any last words for the folks that are listening before we head off to the weekend? Uh, happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe, and uh, we got a few more episodes before the holiday season. Um, I think our are we dropping our next Thursday episode on Christmas Eve? I don't know. That's something we have to have a, a tip of the iceberg meeting about. But yeah. uh, we will see and we will have an update for you on next Monday's episode where we will definitely be dropping an episode. But yeah. like Horowat said, happy holidays to everybody. And we will see you guys next Monday. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. 
You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.